And we are live back with another episode of Shifting Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns. As usual, I'm joined by the Autism Sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I am good. I'm glad that I'm sitting here with the both of you. Our listeners can't see. Usually I comment on how I'm feeling based on the weather, but today I am super excited because in my perspective, uh, we have a unicorn. Uh, I have been searching and I feel like I've been searching for a black speech therapist like myself, even though I don't practice anymore, but a neuro affirming (laughs) And somebody who knows the AAC, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've hit the jackpot. Who is this person, Torin? I want her on right now. So thanks to social media for introducing us to people around the world that we would not run into. Um, And I'm glad that you're here. So would you like to introduce yourself? Because your name is not Unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I am so glad to be here, Stacey and Torin. Um, That was such a generous introduction. My name is Karina Seichow. I am a speech therapist, um, and I am also an AAC and assistive technology specialist. And I am so glad to be here. (laughs) Thank you for welcoming me. And, you know, I work with a lot of families and it's always the same thing. Speech therapist doesn't know. You find one speech therapist that knows. In the whole state of Louisiana, we have one. So what does that mean? It means that most people don't get the services they need. And then a lot of our families and our listeners know, we talk very openly about racial discrepancies. We talk about gender discrepancies. And it is really difficult when Um, a a black and brown family gets a specialist, but she does not understand their culture. And then the AAC device is not designed for the way they communicate in their culture. And that is really important. And so I'm super excited that you're here. I can't even keep up with your post because I've got a lot going on right now, but I will catch up when I'm on the plane tomorrow because I love your ABC. Uh, So Karina has been doing this these posts and every letter of the alphabet is something that relates to using an AAC device. And I'm like, okay, I know she's going to make a poster, right? She's going to make a poster. There's going to be a poster that's going to be printed and I can buy it and I can put it in my office, right? There's going to be a poster. So just throwing that out there. I love it. (laughs) So tell me, I would love to know, because I'm, I'm curious to know, what motivated you to go in that direction? Because a lot of parents don't know. That's not taught when we go to speech therapy school. Um, that's extra. You have to take the effort to learn that and become a specialist. And so what was your drive towards saying, this is what I want to do and specialize in, um, besides the fact that there's a need for it, but what was your drive to put all the work in that it takes to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was working in a high school setting. Um, I got my career start um, with high schoolers. And this is really not any different than any other setting. But one of the things that was happening um, was that we didn't have, it was a very small district, we didn't have an AAC specialist in our staff. Um, And so we were contracting our AAC services um, only from essentially for um, families who pushed really hard at the district level. I was still a CFY at this point, um, so I didn't have all of this background knowledge yet. Um, But one of the things that was happening is we had an AAC specialist who would come and do our assessments um, for an exorbitant 
amount of money. <laughs> um, and essentially, uh, they would do the assessment, order the device, leave it there, and then take off. This person lived over an hour away, um, and the contract was not such that we could continue our like work, you know, with them to learn how to use the systems. Uh, and so at that time, I decided I just needed to learn how to do this myself because one of the things that was happening, of course, um, is that we were we had these like glorified, very expensive paperweights. Um, and our students were still not having access to their voices, right? We didn't know how to use the systems. The teachers didn't know how to use the systems. And there wasn't an infrastructure in place to teach us how to do that. But then in addition to that, I kept seeing like the same thing over and over. So I started all of this as a little baby CFY. Um, and the thing that I was seeing is that there was, I think, a lack of just like general knowledge from specialists like myself, but then also from educators and parents that there was another option for their child to be able to communicate, which was AAC. And this was a big deal. And the light bulb came on pretty quickly um, because I was working in the high school. So there were students that I had been working with for a short amount of time who have like the same cycle of goals that never included giving them an independent voice. Um, yeah. And so I started the work there and continued it because of that. I love that. And you know what I appreciate the most is that you said, I saw that there was a need and I did not know. So I took the time to learn. Like that is, I mean, that is how I got to wherever I am now. Um, but it was, I didn't know. <laughs> so I need to know for this child. So I'm going to learn. I just don't see that enough. And so it, of course, drives me crazy because kids are depending on you. Parents are depending on you. And I don't know. I mean, I know that I'm much older than you, but I remember in IEP meetings, sitting at the table with parents and no matter what the disability, you know, the OTs always got paid more. The PTs always got paid more. Speech therapists were on staff as teachers, which I didn't mind. I mean, I, I didn't, it was, it was, I loved it, but there was a pay discrepancy with the same credentials that are required. And I remember saying in every IEP meeting, no matter what the disability, every parent said, I just want to communicate with my child. Every parent said that, but communication was never looked at as a priority. I don't know why. It still is not looked at, you know, sitting, sitting, sitting for 15 minutes, not communicating. So thinking in terms of with the high school population, did you, were you able to get stuff in place before, um, before you had to leave or was it somewhere yet that you were just there for a moment? No, so um, I am actually I still support this high school, but only for oh, cool. and assistive technology, not just the high school, but the, the district um, for both augmentative communication and assistive technology. The good thing that happened in my school district is that we were able to fight hard enough to show the need um, for both assistive technology and AAC. So our school district, it was a small school district, but they invested really heavily uh, in us creating a program. So myself, another speech language pathologist, the occupational therapist and the school psychologist uh, created essentially a assistive technology team for the district. And we moved toward universal design for learning and a a lot of those practices are still in place today in that school district. But then the SLP and I continued um, with our continuing education and became AAC specialists. And so I do still support this district, uh, particularly because there are so few of us as well who do this kind of work. Um, and so I am 
you know, like, so it's it's an uncommon story, I think, with public schools um, and public school districts where uh, they see the need and support their interventionists and educators to also, you know, like work toward growing them themselves in this way. Uh, but ours did. So I am grateful for that. That's good. You know, I, I think that, yes, schools are not my favorite right now, um, but they do also not always understand the need. But I do think that when you have one or two folks on the staff that are passionate and able to articulate why something's important, most districts will get on board to what level, but they will get on board. I think that there's not enough of that, right? Like everyone's afraid to go to the table and ask for it because they don't want to be told no. But if you don't ask for it, sometimes they don't know that it's needed, uh, so, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, there is a general lack of knowledge sometimes from yes. our administrators, and we do not oh. expect um, that they know everything about every piece yes. of our job. But the thing that is becoming um, increasingly clear, especially as I've aged in this profession, this is year 10, um, is that special education directors um, and parents and educators are becoming more knowledgeable about AAC, and AAC has become more accessible oh. now than ever has been yes. before. Yeah, yes. so I think that that's also a component of this conversation yeah. 10 years I ago. I definitely, I remember when we didn't have an iPad, right? And I remember when iPads came into existence. And I remember when Prolo Quo to Go came out and I thought, this is going to be a game changer for parents. Like you no longer have to go through the red tape and prove that your child needs to get communication. Yes, you have to scrape up money, but you can get money. You can hustle money. You can find money. Um, and now we have so many options that parents can try um, and not have to sort of wait on it. So speaking of that, because um, I'm thinking, you know, our listeners, most of our listeners are parents, um, not all. They are educators. Uh, you know, we're trying to shift the narrative and get people to see a different side. And we had... Um, uh, Tiffany, of course, I always know her as uh, not functioning, but Tiffany's last name, not Tiffany Hammond with Fidgets and Fries, but Tiffany. I believe it's Tiffany Joseph. So Tiffany, the other Tiffany, when they're on, when they're all together, they when they're together, they say the other Tiffany. So she came on and did a really good job of helping parents understand that even speaking individuals can use assistive technology. And um, and that is starting to become, I mean, we all text and use our email. Um, so in regards to parents, what do you think is the most challenging thing as a speech therapist to get parents on board with trying an AAC device or introducing it to their child? And what is the biggest barrier when they do agree? I think that the most challenging thing um, to begin with, I think, is like the myths, right, mm -hmm. around AAC and AAC use. Um, and so there are there are many myths, but there's also, I think, one of the challenges is this kind of prioritization of verbal speech. Um, and so as a part of that myth is that if they use an AAC system, and unfortunately this myth is perpetuated by educators, even speech language pathologists and other professionals, that if they use an AAC system, that they'll never be able to learn to talk. And so there's this like prioritization of verbal speech, um, which is problematic, right, for many, many reasons. 
<laughs> um, you know, but when we think about like building language, having access to autonomous and independent communication as much as possible, sometimes getting over that barrier, I find specifically um, in relationship to the school districts is kind of one of the biggest barriers to, to work over. But with just like a conversation and education, like most parents, you know, like they, they then understand if they talk to an AAC specialist, you know, all of the good things that can come from using an AAC system and that AAC systems don't always have to take place, right, of the voice. There are people who use their verbal speech, you know, like throughout the day at different times throughout the day to um, be able to communicate with others, but then also rely on their AAC systems, as many of us do, uh, to be able to you know, communicate whatever it is that they want to say for a variety of reasons, you know, like situational mutism, for example. Um, but I think one of the barriers then, even sometimes when we can get them to agree, one of the barriers then is finding a qualified AAC specialist. Uh, so they are one of the things that, you know, unfortunately is also having happening in the area of AAC is people now are starting to call themselves AAC specialists as a buzzword um, or like a buzz phrase, or they're being forced to via policy barriers from um, school districts and they're not actually AAC specialists and sometimes unfortunately are causing more harm than good. So for example, one of the recent uh, examples I have of this is I was called to consult on um, an AAC system setup. And so essentially this particular system setup um, had been so customized, but it was, customized incorrectly. So there were 60 icons um, on TouchChat HD with WordPower 60, and it had been over-customized by, I was told, the AAC specialist, but it was customized so poorly um, that I thought that a true AAC specialist could have never done that. So it made it really difficult to use, and this school district or this particular school was trying to figure out how to support the SLPA with implementing it during their sessions, but also how to support the families to use it at home because the family uh, is bilingual well they're they're bilingual but many of the uh, members of the family living in the home were monolingual Spanish speaking but the okay. system was in English and so you know like that's problem number one right <laughs> you know is that the, the student is also likely bilingual but the system was only in English but then in addition to that um, the system set up on the front was um was difficult to navigate. You know, it like broke the motor plan. They changed the color of the verbs. They moved them around. They blacked out some of them, but didn't hide them. You know, it was kind of weird. Um, and so anyway, that was all to say that, you know, there are many barriers. Um, there are barriers that are outlined in our literature, um, I think by Bukumen, um and Light. And so there are many barriers that are, that we know like opportunity barriers, policy barriers, knowledge barriers, skill barriers, right? Like there are so many barriers, but once you you find somebody that can help you overcome those you know like then it just seems to be you know like a, a much a much easier journey you know a much easier road yeah and I I do um uh I really appreciate that very concise but informative response <laughs> I think that is going to be very helpful to our listeners uh because I one of the things I got from what you said is parent empowerment made a difference once parents know and they've been informed by person who actually knows, not by Facebook groups, um, which I'm not against Facebook groups, but there's a lot of misinformation <laughs> in Facebook groups. And so once parents are empowered with the knowledge of understanding the benefits of introducing an AAC device, that challenge is gone. And now it's just 
the barrier of how do we get it into place and how do we implement it. Um, so with those of you out there listening, you know how I feel about being proactive. So figure out how to get over those challenges before. Um, what, what is something that you think most parents who have either, um, uh, so let me rephrase it, let me rephrase it because I wanna, my question in my head is, is disorganized. So let me present it in a way that you can understand, hopefully. What do you think is the one thing or something common that parents of children who use AAC devices, what do you think the parents either don't understand, don't get, or just don't know based on how their child is processing and communicating? And I don't know if my question makes any sense. Um, does yeah. it make sense or should I rephrase it? Should I, should I give an example? Let me give an example. Sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. So for example, when I'm talking to a family about a child using words, then I may say, well, you know, they couldn't say cookie today, even though they could say it yesterday because maybe they were dysregulated or maybe they're motor planning or maybe they can't forward find or, you know, sometimes in the moon and the stars are not aligned, right? So giving the parents that sort of insight into their child's perspective helps them to sort of understand. So I'm gonna streamline my question and say, <laughs> often parents will say, my child uses a device when they need something um, or when they want to is usually what parents say. And, but I can't get them to use it for a conversation with me, right? And so, you know, my practical response is, Maybe they don't really want to have a conversation with you, but that's hard for parents to take because most kids don't really want to have a conversation with their parents. Like that's why you send them outside to play and you talk to the adults. But now parents are immersed because no one goes outside and they're all in the same space and parents are hovering their children. So they want their children to sort of be their communication uh, go-to and the kids are not doing that with their devices. So what do you think parents need to know to sort of understand that and not be overwhelmed and stressed with that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I love it. <laughs> so we communicate for a lot of reasons, right? We call them communication functions, you know? So the first thought that I had, um, and then I'll follow up with my second thought, but the first thought that I had was um, a lot of the times the AAC systems are used for like requesting only. Uh, and so that's a problem because they're not systems that are just for requesting, right? Like we can just imagine almost like replacing a device with a mouth, it becomes their voice, but then they are pigeonholed into, you know, like only having the opportunity to access specific communication functions. And because a lot of these um, AAC users and learners don't have access to comprehensive literacy instruction, you know, then they are, you know, specifically even more pigeonholed into saying what other people have programmed their systems to say, and so then that's all they have. The other side of that, so the second part of uh, the, the thought process that I have for this question is that I think we forget to see these children as children. 
right? Like they are humans, just like everybody else. They have characteristics, they have temperaments. Some of them are introverted. Some of them are extroverted. Some of them love, you know, just like everybody else, they love to hang out with people. They don't want to hang out with people, right? Like they just need their space. And one, if you don't have the language available to you to say, I need my space, I want to take a break because so-and-so thinks that it's rude to program that into their device and now they can't self-advocate, right? Like that's something for consideration, you know? So like when I think about, when I think about like, when I see this, you know, even with educators, like in the classroom, even with people like me, interventionists in the classroom, you know, like they, they are expected to be on all the time, right? Like they have interventionists and people in their faces at school all the time, you know, like supporting them with doing this thing and then supporting them with doing that thing in a way that otherwise typically developing children don't, right? So when we think about typically developing children on a school campus, in a classroom, you know, they move through the day with their friends, they check in at, you know, like recess time, they check in at lunchtime, snack time, you know, passing period, whatever the time is, in a way that a lot of the students who, you know, like have um, disabilities or who are autistic, you know, don't always get the opportunity to do, you know, like there's always an adult by them, you know, and some of them have one-to-one -one paraprofessionals, even for example, that support them out throughout the school day for a variety of reasons. And so they just never get a break. So when they do get a break, when they come home from school or on the weekend or during, you know, like embedded break times, like winter break, um, or spring break, for example, I think that one of the considerations is that their nervous system is probably still just like settling in from having to be on for so many hours of the day, you know, like all week long, you know? So I do want to just like remind all of us, including myself, you know, like remind all of us that, you know, like really just like everybody else, you know, like it, we have to learn, you know, each of their personalities, respond well to those personalities, you know, support them in building up their personality to say the things that they want to say. But then also if they are given the leave me alone vibe, leave them alone, you know, like just let them be and send them out to play. And I want to remind everybody that play looks different for everyone, especially in young children. Play is how we learn. Even adults play, right? And so like play is how we experience the world. It's how we think about the world. It's how we learn new things. And so like it, there's no such thing as really as playing wrong unless it's causing harm to somebody else or to themselves, you know? And so like do send them out to play, out to the living room, out to the backyard, out to the park, you know, like out to wherever you're going to send them to. And then, you know, do your best to just like follow their play, join in their play if they want you there, but don't if they don't want you there, be there far enough and close enough to like keep them safe and then let it be. It's just, it's like listening to myself. It's so wonderful to just sit at the table with a speech. I, I mean, I, I say that because it's a struggle. I mean, Torin knows, like, I'm just like, where, like, I need, I don't want to always be in the room trying to teach everyone. I need to learn and, and grow too, right? But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about AAC and speech uh, therapy and all the good stuff and all the wonderful knowledge that you have for our listeners. So one of the things, and I love that you said um, to the effect of reminding parents that not only are they human, but sometimes we just don't want to be bothered. Like it's hard for parents to recognize that their kids just don't want to be bothered, but I'm like, they're tired. They've been at school all day. Also, I want listeners to rewind and listen to the part about 
they're constantly having adults in their face that are intervening in their ability to even try to socialize with their peers because they're intervening, intervening, intervening. And a lot of times intervening wrong, right? Like tell them, hello, ask him, can you come play? I'm like, you know, that's not really how recess works. Like they don't really stand and say, hey, can I play? You just go in the game, right? And you either make it in or you don't. There's no formality. So that's wrong, 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 right? But that's what they're sort of teaching. Um, one of the things that I, I would like to sort of pick your brain on is um, the, the component of parents resolving that verbal may not be the primary, most efficient way for their child to communicate, even if they have verbal communication. And I'm sure that you've heard this before in terms of, I will hear parents when I say, oh, what's their you know method of communication? And they'll say, oh, they're verbal. And I'm like, oh, so they'll give me an example. Oh, well, they'll say juice. And I'm like, okay, that is not like, like, like that's not really like, like we, I'm sure they have more to say, right? So we need to give more. Um, but like you said, there's the hesitancy. So what, what, is, um, what is a way that our listeners can, whether they are helping another person in their family, you know, and encouraging them to do it, but the whole idea of recognizing it's not going to be the way that you communicate, um, because I'm sure that you know, and I'm going to stop and let you respond. I'm sure that you know, when you get two speech therapists or three speech therapists in a room, Torin, it's like a battle for, <laughs> like we need to wave a flag and say stop talking. Um, but parents, uh, sometimes think that it's equated with lack of intelligence, right? Um, and I remember when, and I'm sure you are familiar with this, the deaf population and sign language, and we thought deaf people, because they couldn't verbally talk, that they were stupid or dumb. I think it was deaf and dumb, they used to say. And then even parents of deaf children who are hearing parents will not learn sign language to communicate with their children. It's very common and very sad. Um, but an AAC is not necessarily a different language, but it is a different, I look at it as a different language culture, right? A different sort of a different way. So um, what are some words of knowledge, empowerment, and just um, advice to help parents recognize that it's going to be okay if they do it differently? Yeah. I want to start by saying that it's going to be okay. <laughs> Your child's journey is their own. I, I think the reality is that no two children, period, no two children are alike, right? Um, and we have to ask ourselves, what do we actually want for our child? And most parents say, I just want to know what they're thinking. I just want to know how they feel. I just want to, you know, I just want to know that, you know, if they're in pain, where the pain is and how I can help them, right? And so if we are prioritizing verbal speech and they consistently produce maybe just the five words that are the things that they enjoy most, like 
juice and dino nuggets and outside and you know like those kinds of things but don't allow like the full capacity of communication functions which a lot of times like that's a part of the truth you know then if the thing that you want is really to be able to get to know your child then AAC is the way you know, AAC is their world. It's their language. It's assimilated language. So even still, similarly, I agree with you. It's a different language culture. It's also, you know, like assimilated language is a different language than in some yeah. Like yeah. it's not technically written language in the same right, um, you know, because we use these symbols, of course. Uh, but then even the way that they access language and communication is really different than some of the ways that many families are used to, you know. And so I really want to encourage families to throw everything, you know, like throw everything that you thought, <laughs> you know, imagine what it would be like. And that's hard, right? Like I am, I am not here to say you just have to, you know, because that's really difficult. And, you know, the, the thing to consider instead is with my child who I love so much, what do they need for me right now? Who can I ask? And so I agree with always pushing, getting a second opinion. If you meet a speech language pathologist, for example, who is not giving you what you need in terms of like your understanding of all of what is available to your child around um, communications and supports, seek another one, right? There, I work with some children who have multiple speech language pathologists, right? They see a an SLP for supporting verbal speech, but then they also see me for AAC so that we're building up language. And if they're building up speech, you know, so be it, right? So this might not all be the same person because most of my practice, 90% of it is working with and supporting AAC users and their families um, and debunking myths, of course, you know? So I just want to remind all the families that, you know, you got it, you know, like you're a kid, you, you know your kid, you want to know your kid, you know, and just support them them in the ways that they need sometimes by following their lead and you know one of the struggles for me is I have so many families that I work with around the globe that don't have access to a speech therapist let alone a speech therapist that knows anything about AAC right so they're having to sort of learn it on their own um, whether it's online or me working with them or you know uh social media there's some really good stuff that moms are are modeling for other moms which I really like when when they sort of show that especially when it's younger kids because people think you have to wait you know they're told that you have to wait well wait 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 I, I want to take this conversation uh, a little bit in a different direction so you have Karina what I consider to be a really cool story about just how you got into this and who inspired you to go in the speech and one that uh as a caregiver myself for a disabled for a disabled relative, one that really touched me. So could you tell the audience a little bit about like how you got into speech therapy and what sort of brought you to this point? Yeah. So I did not know what a speech therapist was until I wanted to be one. So there's that. 
I learned about it as a sophomore in college, um, particularly because my uncle had a stroke when I was three, um, but it left him bed bound. However, um, he talked about keeping up with the world. Um, he received a lot of his information, you know, like through the TV and conversations with our family. Um, he lived in the home with my great aunt, his sister, uh, and then he lived for like 20 more years. So um, he, he is really the reason that I am a speech therapist particularly because when I would go to visit him, you know, I would go to see him to like take lunch and, um, you know, and then we would just talk. And essentially while he was in the nursing home, he was there just to get a bed wound cleared and then he was supposed to go home and he did. Uh, but I was really interested in why this man, it was so random, but um, why this man was touching this other person's neck while he was eating. It felt so invasive to me, you know, like it felt so intrusive. Uh, and then I saw that person again, uh, but he was like, feeding this person, you know, the next day. And so then I just inquired about like who that person was, what they were doing. At the time, I wanted to be a physical therapist. And so the universe really came together because I wanted to be a physical therapist. And my uncle told his nurse, who told the executive director, to tell me to come in. <laughs> so I did. And anyway, they offered me a, a summer job there. Uh, and then they allowed me to like essentially follow or shadow um, the physical therapist, and then eventually the speech therapist. And that's how I learned about speech therapy. The, the rehab team there um, kept saying that they that I seemed like a speech therapist. And I was like, no, no, no. You know, like, I don't even know what that is. You know, and then come to find out, here I am. Thankfully, my university offered speech therapy as a profession because hit the jackpot. Like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I love my work. I love working with families. Um, and I was an educator, like a, um, a tutor for, um, for Jumpstart, like where essentially when I was in college, I would work with young children who were in Head Starts um, with essentially tutoring them to make sure that they knew all their ABCs and, you know, all the different things like that. And so now I'm here and I, I mean, I love it so much. I love that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm so glad that you're here at the table with us. I have an imaginary table during the podcast. I know it's virtually like <laughs> the, the Zoom table, which sometimes which table. sometimes uh disappears and cuts out. And could you tell the audience a little bit about uh your support system, especially like how you and your husband have gone about your career and getting your PhD? Because a lot of our families, since most of our audience are parents, that's a big thing that comes up and a big topic is getting that support system and getting that buy-in from their partners and their family and things like that. So can you talk about the buy-in you got from, and you just have a really sweet story about your husband too. Can you, can you go into that a little bit? That's so sweet. I love. Um, yeah, so my husband and I are high school sweethearts. We met when we were in middle school. We were best friends in middle school. So we met when we were like 11. <laughs> Uh, but then I went off to college, although we stayed together. I went off to college just a few hours away from um, home, and but we uh, stayed a couple. And when I graduated from my master's degree, uh, he proposed. So I graduated in May, and then he proposed in August. And then we dated for, because we had been long distance, so we like dated for a couple of more years, make sure that this was real and true. Uh, and then we got married, and we're so happy. And, you know, I am able, I owe him a lot, because he is amazing. And I 
am able to do this because of him and the rest of my family as support systems. So I have a twin sister, um, a twin sibling, an older, uh, two older siblings. And then of course my mom and most of my family members lived in Oakland where I grew up too. And so, you know, like I had a lot of just like general family support, I think from the beginning, but ultimately the sacrifices of my husband to move here all the way to the Midwest so that I can pursue my dream of working toward a PhD, particularly because a lot of the information that I was looking for as a clinician was not available and or was not readily available. Uh, and I think it just, it, everything fell into place like all at the same time. Ultimately, he had to agree, agree to make such a huge move. But when I think about my support system, I really think about, you know, the core group, I call them my crew, it's my crew, you know, the core group of people that I have relied on for um, my, my social, emotional health, you know, like, like my mental health, but also my academic health, you know, and like my like actual like physical health, because my husband learned to cook after we moved here to the Midwest and he makes most of our meals now. And mind you, he did not cook when we got married. Um, I was the one doing all of those things, but he in particular, when you talk about a community has made many sacrifices to ensure that I could achieve my dreams. Um, and gratefully we have both been um, well off as a result of that. And so I'm also feeling grateful to him. I also wanna shout out my siblings and my mom um, and my best friends. I have a few best friends that have just been my rock. Um, and so I'm really grateful to all of them. Oh, that is a beautiful story. Thank you, Torin, for having her tell that story. I, I told you, and I think it's so important just because I want to show, we've, we've talked about a bunch of horror stories of lack of support systems. So I really wanted to have one about an actual good support system. And obviously as some, I've talked about some podcasts, I'm a caregiver for, for my uncle who's disabled. So when I heard you tell that story, it just, uh, I, I just have to ask that question. I, I'll turn over the rest of that time we're running a little up against time. So I'll, I'll turn it back over to Stacy. but I just had to, I had to actually share that with the audience. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love that. Um, I always feel like my boys, they were kind of dragged on my autism journey to everything. So I am going to, I haven't shared a story. I like to tell stories. So I'm going to share a story and I'd like for you to give some thoughts about this story <laughs> so that our listeners can gain um, insight. So I was in, um, I was in an IEP meeting and there was a kiddo, I was working with the family and I had, we had been working on an AAC device at the home, right? Over the summer. And, uh, because there was no one in Alabama who knew anything. So when we go to school for the IEP, we're like, oh, we've been working on this in the summer. We're going to introduce this. We're going to bring it to the classroom. And I kid you not, like only Jesus kept me from like inappropriateness. The speech therapist says, well, you know, we're thinking maybe we should go ahead and just do the prolo quo to go in the classroom because we were doing lamp. He was doing lamp at home. Because, you know, I think it's a little bit easier and we already have access to that. And I said, well, um, I appreciate your input. However, this is not about you and it being easy for you. This is communication for him. So we need to rethink that perspective, right? Oh, you know, I'm, no, no, no. I'm just saying, 
politely, we're not using prolo to go. So you're going to have to figure out how to wrap your head around that. But my point of the, 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 the idea of the story is this is a family that did the work. This is a family that came in. And now we have the professional who is deciding, which happens all the time in schools. Well, we all use prolo quote. Okay, where is we in individualized education communication system? Where is the we in that? Um, so I'd love for you to give a little insight on that to help our listeners who may be in this situation or, you know, you can vent whatever it is that you want to respond to before we finish. You know, um, while it's not a common experience, it's not an uncommon experience <laughs> of, in terms of class-wide adoption of a single system. Uh, so a, a major component of AAC assessments is that we, I call it a device fitting, um, is that we fit each of the users individually and appropriately for that matter for their AAC systems. This is a process that takes many hours and lots of data. And the difficulty with changing someone's system is asking them to relearn a language. That's really what it comes down to. And there are different reasons that we would choose different systems. Why you would choose touch chat, for example, with the specific icon set, why you would choose ProLoquo to go or Lamps Word for Life or TV Snap. There are, there are different rationales um, as to why we would choose each of those. So the difficulty becomes, of course, that if a child has learned and is a well-established user of a particular system, and then their system is changed, you know, like at any point with or without their knowledge, but especially if they have not agreed to this change, the user, right, has not agreed to this change, then we begin to also misrepresent their skills, right? So if they have all of these skills that they've been able to show in you know, Lamps Word for Life, for example, and now all of a sudden they have to use ProLoquo to go because that's what everybody else is doing, then they're not able to access their curriculum. Like that's really the bottom line, right? Like they're not able to access their academics and they are artificially being put behind because of skill barriers and knowledge barriers that are put upon them by the school district or by the classroom, for example, or by the interventionist who is supposed to be uh, the you know, professional or the expert in this case. And so there are, you know, it's really frustrating because this is not uh, new. It is not something that I'm a stranger to. I have definitely had my fair share of supporting families and educators in being able to kind of better understand like why that would not be a good thing for us to do. Uh, and so there, I think there has to be a, a more openness. I think that school districts are trying to wrap their head around how we can better support AAC users. And one of the answers to that on their behalf, probably not in conjunction with an AAC specialist, was to create these communication classrooms. But through these communication classrooms, they have adopted a single app, which typically is ProLoquo to go because it's one of the first apps, I think it is the first app that was introduced via iOS, so like on the iPads. And when people think of AAC, a lot of the times they think of ProLoquo to go first and or maybe touch chat, right? Like first or second. And so the difficulty this with this though is that they just don't have the access that they used to. And it just might not be what, what comes to them, right? Like they're, they're all fitted, they all have different, you know, are we looking more for motor plan? Are we looking more for linguistic control? Are we looking more for pragmatics? You know, like, what are we looking for? And we can get those answers, like, via our assessment. So, you know, I feel like I have so much to say, you know, like, well, send me on a rant, you know? <laughs> I'm 
I'm telling you, so the listeners, you guys can't see. Like Karina was ready to go to fight. Like she was in fight mode. She was like physically like, oh, all right, we got to, we got to go to the cafeteria. And then she preached. You, you guys can't see, you can hear the preaching. And I just, I'm so glad because I was like, should I bring up that story? I was like, nope, let me, let me see. Because that is the words you use. Like I'm pulling these nuggets of words. I mean, I'm going to watch the replay because I love the words that gives me other words to use to help explain it. Um, so I do appreciate it. And I love your passion about it. Um, you know, I always just say this is not about you. Like you said, you said that the parents, you said, you know, it's hard, you know, it's hard for parents to blah, blah, blah. This is the way I approach it with my parents. I'm like, listen, this is not about you. And I know this is hard, but you had this little baby. So you're going to have to figure out how to make it work. Right now. These are parents that of course I have a rapport with and I can approach them in an honest way. However, thank you. That was just perfect. And I think that people do not see that perspective, that it is more than just, oh, let's put a thing in there with pictures to touch. There's so much more to choosing an AAC device and it is not a one size fits all and it takes time. But once you figure it out, it's like magic. So you're gonna have to come back on, please. And I'm like, I'm like sitting here, I'm like, I feel like I'm in the high school cafeteria and I'm like, oh, my friend, can I sit at her lunch table? Yes, <laughs> anytime, friends forever now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so excited that you joined us. This is going to be a, I have five moms right now that cannot wait till this drops. Like they're like, it's today the day, today's the day, right? What is he gonna post? What is he gonna post? I'm like, calm down, I'll let you know. So thank you so much for joining us. Torin, do you have any last words? Or Karina, do you have any last words for our listeners? I want to thank you really for having me. I also want to um, remind us all that AAC is a journey. Um, and I want to encourage families to, you know, like be on board, you know, just like be on board the train. <laughs> For the journey, every family's journey is going to be a little bit different with AAC, but there are people around um, who can support. And so I want to encourage you also to look for those people, contact those people, um, and just I'm wishing you all the best on your continued journey. And I want to thank you all for having me on the show today. I super, super appreciate having met you all, um, but just how amazing you are and the work that you're doing. It is so needed, and I am so grateful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, you're going to have to come back. Um, I'm thinking that it would be great to have you back with either a, a, a AAC user, like one of my kiddos. I think that'd be great. Anyway. Okay. Let me stop. Torin, we have to go. I'm done. <laughs> well, um, I pretty much have said everything I want to say. I just want to thank you, Karina, for coming on. Uh, this is great. And like I said, we will definitely have you back on and yeah, Stacy, that's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism. See ya. Bye.